This week on Priority One, Viacom CBS tease more Star Trek in development and some changes to how we'll consume them. Frakes talks about directing Star Trek Picard, and a deep fake video emerges with Star Trek Flare. In gaming news, we go deeper down the rabbit hole and focus on a handful of legendary starships in Star Trek Online. Then we look on screen to Episode 5 of Star Trek Picard, Stardust City Rack. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by GamePrint. We thank them and our patrons for their support of Priority One Podcast. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 450 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, February 25th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, February 28th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kat. And I'm Tony. Before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in on the weekly conversations, whether via social media platforms like facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod, or by email to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Priority One Podcast is at its core a community production. In other words, nobody earns any money for the production of the show and the work that they put into it. All of the talents and hours put into producing this weekly show comes from volunteers who are passionate about Star Trek and who want to be a part of our little corner of the Star Trek multiverse. Without their support, it would be impossible to have produced 450 episodes. Another amazing milestone. Now, there are several ways that you can help support Priority One Podcast. For instance, we're always looking for people to join the team. Audio editors, social media gurus, graphic artists, you name it. If you have a talent that you feel could contribute to Priority One Podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us via email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or just hit us up via a private message on one of our social media channels like Facebook or Twitter. Another way and very important way to support Priority One is financially. As I mentioned, we are a community-run show, and unfortunately, it's not cheap to produce the quality content you've come to expect every Friday from Priority One Podcast. So we encourage you to trek out all the perks available to you for becoming a patron. For instance, joining us on an exclusive Discord channel on the Priority One Armada, where you will be able to converse with us, the cast and crew of Priority One, on a weekly basis. And that's just at the $5 a month perk. At $10 a month, you can actually get exclusive content, including our podcast called After Hours, an unscripted, unedited discussion of the week's news in Star Trek. So, check us out over at patreon.com forward slash priority one for more information. And as always, it's your support that keeps us going. Now, let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jordan, I don't know. Then let's check it out. 
Viacom CBS has big plans for streaming, but we'll get into that in a minute. Because they also have big plans for Star Trek. In a live-tweeted earnings call held on Thursday, February 20th, Viacom CBS captain Bob Backish said of the IP, quote, Take Star Trek as an example, a globally enduring franchise that will make even bigger. On the heels of Star Trek Picard on CBS All Access, which broke our records for total streams and subscriber signups, we're now taking the Star Trek franchise and extending it across the house. Building on Discovery and Picard, we now have two additional series in production at CBS All Access and Nickelodeon, and two more series in development, plus a series of Picard novels being rolled out at Simon & Schuster, and a highly anticipated new Star Trek film at Paramount Pictures." End quote. <sighs> Alright, let's unpack this a second. The series in production are likely Michelle Yeoh's Section 31, Mike McMahon's animated comedy Lower Decks, and the Hagman Brothers animated Nickelodeon series rumored to be named Star Trek Prodigy. But what about the other two series that he says are in development? Well, rumors continue to swirl that Anson Mount will take the center seat for a Pike-led series. And evidence continues to mount when asked earlier this month what she has been up to, Pike's number one, Rebecca Romaine, let slip to the daily front row, quote, I've been working on Star Trek here and there, but I can't really talk about that, end quote. Then this week, the gossip site Giant Frickin' Robot reported that the Pike rumor was confirmed by two different sources, but when it comes to these rumor sites that are usually designed just for clickbait, you should take the report with a grain of salt. So, even if Pike is one of the two series, what's the other one? Starfleet Academy, Khan, something else entirely, and the movie? Is this Trekantino or the Noah Hawley-led maybe reboot, maybe Calvin Star Trek 4? Just so many questions. I, I think we need to like get our we, we can do this on one hand, right? Okay, we can we re we only need one with the fingers on one hand to figure all this out, right? So they've got two in development and two in production. This is where we where I'm missing Skiffy right now because Skiffy could tell me if I'm doing this wrong. But my understanding is in production means they're building sets, they're designing the makeup heads, they might actually be filming, you know, putting stuff on cellulose if we were still using film. So that's that's production, but in development means. They're hiring writers, they're workshopping things with the producers, they're starting to hire some of the key creatives behind the camera, that kind of stuff. So the in-production is clearly the lower decks, right? Because I have, you know, we, we've seen bits and pieces of that. Probably Section 31 with Michelle Yeoh, because I've seen Discovery teaser photos and stuff with Yo in it. So she's probably around the sets filming stuff. So I think we take care of those two off. We take those two off the table. Then you get the Nickelodeon thing that you just referred to, the prodigy, right? There's one. And so the other one's probably Pike because Romaine says she's working on Star Trek. And if she's saying Star Trek here and there, that probably means in development. They're, you know, doing test shots of her and figuring out what costume she's going to wear and what her schedule is and that kind of stuff. So I think we've got it all. I don't think there's anything else. We're, I don't think we're missing anything at this point. Did I answer all your questions? I'm pretty much... <laughs> you pretty much summed it all up there. But now, I mean, I think people are maybe wanting to see maybe a seven show. Oh, no doubt. They're going to do more. But the bigger question is, what's the movie? Oh. Hmm. Yeah, the film, this film keeps getting tossed around. I'm not exactly sure where it is. 
And, you know, again, these these rumors and these rumor sites can be interesting is going to be the, 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 the choice word I'm going to use uh, because others are definitely just 100% clickbait with rampant speculation and, and random headlines like Alex Kurtzman's been fired and all these things that we don't ever report on on this show because those kind of rumors are just clickbait. But it's it's fun every once in a while to speculate on the gossip on what might be. And I really, really hope that they announce and confirm the development of a Christopher Pike show. Because I think Anson Mount is just a remarkably talented actor who fits the role perfectly and portrayed it perfectly as well. I just think it was a strong character and strong performance all around. I think that a lot of fans believe that the second season of Discovery was made bearable by his performance. I'm one of those people. I think that there's a it's a sure thing, right? In TV, you want a sure thing. You know, he's been screen tested. Audiences like him. You know, you're going to get people to tune in to watch that. And so that's uh, I, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Absolutely. Yeah. He's delightful. Yeah, it's a pretty safe bet. We've, we've talked about Trekantino, but he says he's out. Tarantino says he's out. And I don't see CBS, Viacom ponying up for Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth money for Star Trek anymore. Especially because they're dumping so much creative juice into the, getting the TV show going. And it's all the, all the TV shows right. going. So I'm, I'm that, that one, I think, I, I'm wondering if there's any truth to that at all. About, about, I mean, they say... Not Trekantino, but Noah Hawley may end up being the one to helmet. Uh, That one seems to have more traction than Tarantino. I doubt that Tarantino is going to do it. I think it's just another marketing ploy to keep the fire stoked for Star Trek in some way, shape, or form. But I think it's more likely that Noah Hawley will take over or another director for a Kelvin universe. You know what I want? Although... I was gonna say, I, I just the other day, I got you know you get those uh, Google alerts that know your mind early you know, sooner than you do. One that came across my feed was that we just passed the 30th anniversary of the airing of yesterday's Enterprise, and it reminded me that the Tarantino pitch, the Tarantino pitch was that episode, but with Kirk and his dad, a version of that with it, Tarantino's out. Now. I know, he's, I know, but 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 go ahead. Cause, if if Tarantino wasn't uh, out, he could do a seven movie how cool would that be no 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 but tarantino i was gonna say is that tarantino put together a writer's room so he may be out on the director's side but he could still get a writing credit for that because that is that would be a that would be a movie that would bring in pine and hemsworth trekkies would go nuts for old school trekkies would go nuts for and movie audiences would love too because it's thor and wonder woman's buddy so i mean i think at this point the money is on streaming I think that they are seeing a better return on investment. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Because the last Star Trek film, Beyond, didn't do very well in the box office. So they may not want to invest that much money into a feature film if the return on investment isn't there when compared to their streaming shows like Picard, like Discovery, like these upcoming shows like Section 31 or uh, Lower Decks. But only time will tell. And the difference is that next time they're going to have an installed audience that they can advertise the movie to on Nickelodeon and CBS All Access and whatever else. Well, Captains, that brings us to our first community question this week. What would you want Star Trek's next two shows to be about? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or just follow us on Facebook or Twitter because we will post these questions 
for your replies later. Did you hear that Viacom CBS has big news about streaming? Uh, yeah, we mentioned that already. But but what is the big news? Well, I'm glad I asked myself. Viacom CBS's Bob Backish announced the company's newest streaming initiative, its three-pronged House of Brands. Viacom CBS will leverage its ad-supported video-on-demand service Pluto TV along with its broad pay CBS All Access and premium Showtime offerings to bolster its streaming offerings. From the previously mentioned earnings call, quote, we will add significant content from Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, MTV, BET, and the Smithsonian Channel, in addition to popular films from the Paramount Pictures Library. And we will do this at scale, to the tune of approximately 30,000 episodes of TV and up to 1,000 movies. This differentiated offering will provide the powerful combination of live, linear, via over 200 local CBS stations, plus on-demand content spanning news, sports, films, dramas, reality, kids, and more, end quote. So what does that mean? Well, it means that Viacom CBS has the ability and the interest in leveraging all of its combined properties to bolster its all-access Pluto TV and Showtime streaming services. Now the question, what will it cost us? We don't know yet, but rest assured, we'll be watching for details. For a link to the tweets, check out our show notes. Kat, would you pay for a universally CBS slash Paramount yeah. subscription Yeah, I service? mean, I already pay. I mean, pay more than we already pay? I don't know. Depends on what... I don't know. It seems like I pay for a lot of these things. I think we talked a little bit about this last week, but... There was a headline that came across my feed, and I haven't been able to find it, but it was it was of the opinion that Viacom CBS is both early and late to the streaming services scene. So they were super early because they were one of the first networks to provide a streaming service almost 10 years ago. And yet they're still playing catch up to things like Hulu, to HBO Go, and others. So... Will the approximately 30,000 episodes of television and up to a thousand movies be the necessary content needed to bring a competitive streaming service that could entice people to cut cords if they haven't already? I don't know. But what we didn't cover for, for sure last week was the fact that they're also considering combining it with live linear television. Right, So you subscribe and you'll also get live TV from their CBS stations and affiliates, right? Maybe not affiliates, but at least CBS stations. That is That seems pretty new, right? I mean, you could live stream now television through your cable company. I know for sure that I was able to do that before. But I don't know that you can watch live television from another service provider. Everything seems to be delayed. So... If they have the infrastructure, if they can spend the money to make the interface and make the user experience much better than what it is now on CBS All Access, this could be a contender. This is where you're going to love having two lawyers on the show here, Elijah, because I think that the it's what it's going to come down to, and, and my you know, counsel here will can agree with me or, or disagree with me, but it's all going to be about exclusive content and exclusive contracts. If you can prevent those local cable companies from doing from airing CBS affiliates via your internet browser and move all that exclusively to CBS All Access, that will move people into CBS All Access. Because if you want to watch NFL or your local newscast in your browser, you're going to have to be signed up to CBS All Access because they're going to take it away from the cable company. Counselor? Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's going to come down to distribution agreements and exclusivity and how that's going to work. But I mean, they're going to have to, I don't think they would, you know, cut all of that off, but make it an option for the streamers. So yes, you do still have to watch live TV through a cable provider now, but if you didn't have to do that, that would be great. But I think people would still want, you know, terrestrial TV at some point, you know, at least in some areas. Oh, oh yeah. What I'm saying is that you won't be able to watch it in a browser window from your cable company. Oh, right. Absolutely. Like, they'll they'll restrict yeah. that because, you know, licensing. Yeah. Unless they pay more. <laughs> I guess they could be leveraging Bing. those deals. Yeah, there you go. Because <laughs> every couple of years you hear about how DirecTV is not going to carry Viacom things or, you know, the, some companies in negotiations with Disney or whatever and they want to pay more. People are cutting the cords, but the argument and the fight is just moving to a different spot. This week on Star Trek Picard's fifth episode, Stardust City Rag, there was torture, murder, and revenge. But Star Trek royalty and the director of the episode, Jonathan Frakes, thinks that the late Gene Roddenberry would have had a problem with something else altogether. Interpersonal conflict. Frakes spoke with The Hollywood Reporter about the episode, and in particular, the scene in which Picard and Seven discuss how they never fully regain their humanity after assimilation. Quote, We never could have done a scene like this on our show. End quote. Frakes clarified that he felt Picard honors Gene's vision, saying, quote, In this new version of Star Trek, which honors what Roddenberry laid out in terms of the optimism and respect towards themes like racism, all of those elements are sort of strongly rooted in this show, but the notion of self-doubt, the vulnerability, especially for a character like Picard, the damage of past experiences, are so much more compelling to watch. It's a denser show than Next Gen, I think that's fair to say. Pushing Picard to these places, watching Patrick act that out, and he was in the writer's room as they developed this story. It's also rewarding to see, end quote. For the full interview, follow the link in our show notes. I really think we need to stop trying to identify what Gene's vision was because... That stopped the next just, generation. I mean, Gene's uh, yes. vision stopped then. You know, everything else was a derivative. I mean, he, he must have approved the episode Conspiracy, right? Where somebody gets their head blown off. Yeah, that was, so, that was season one. I, think. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was. I mean, I don't know. I perhaps the only person who can comment about the quote-unquote vision of Gene Roddenberry is his son, Rod Roddenberry. So maybe one day we'll have him on the show. But he is an executive producer on Star Trek: Picard, so he might be just as tight-lipped about it as anybody else. One of be. seventeen, but yeah, one of seventeen. Right. <laughs> I'm actually starting to wonder what it takes to be an executive producer on that show, because if it's like just giving $5, I might just <laughs> try to fiddle my hat. My they, name in they, give that, they give that credit out like candy these days. It's not, that's not the only show that has that too many cooks problem, I think. Must be like a standard provision in all those, like, you know, finance agreements. And you get an EP credit. Right. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you want to direct? Yeah, but I want an EP credit on the show. Fine. You know, that's uh, the, yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, I think you had a good point there. The, the whole Gene's vision thing, this is all it gets all down to, well, that's not really Star Trek. Well, come on. It's got, number one, it's got the label on it. And number two, you know, it's set in that, in that world. I think it is Star Trek, but whether or not it speaks to you personally, that you can have that discussion all day long with any number of people. But Frakes has been around the block with Star Trek for a long time, and he is, he, he knows what's going to, he knows what buttons to push with the audience. And I think that that's pretty clear from the episodes of Discovery and Picard that he's done recently. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to check out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. 
Computer, status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Captains, before we jump into the news in the world of Star Trek gaming, we have to thank our sponsor, GamePrint, the company that allows you to 3D print your starship from Star Trek Online. But you don't have to be a Star Trek Online player to take advantage of building your own customized armada of Starfleet vessels. All you have to do is visit GamePrint.net and explore an immense library of starships that have already been uploaded by other players. So let's say there's a sovereign that you've been thinking about adding to your collection. Well, yeah, you can walk into a model shop and pick up a cookie cutter version of the ship that looks just like it did in the film, or you can customize it with your own name, your own registry number, what size you want, what colors you might be interested in, what decals you want on the ship. All of that is at your fingertips thanks to Mixed Dimensions and Game Print. So I know that, uh, Tony, Kat, you have not yet taken advantage of the 20% off anniversary special that they're running right now and that you haven't purchased your own ship, but what would you? What would you get if you, if you D7, yes! So good. Tony, how about you? Oh, how are we going to do it? I get one of the ones from Star Trek Online because you can't get them anywhere else. You can, you can get other models from other vendors, but the Star Trek Online ones I don't think are available anywhere else perhaps with the exception of the enterprise f but the you know the star trek online originals like the avenger class battlecruiser uh you won't be able to get that anyplace else that's true and for instance you're not going to be able to get the new kittimer alliance starship anywhere the only way to get it is through game print and it's a sexy ship it is a nice marriage of klingon and federation design so if that's something you'd like to consider then again head over to gameprint.net and take advantage of their star trek online 10th anniversary celebration sale you'll save 20 percent off most ships 20 percent off plaques no code needed just start shopping start exploring their library or log into the game visit your ship tailor and upload your favorite starship Again, we thank GamePrint for their support of Priority One. Captains, it's a remarkably quiet week in gaming news, so let's spend a little time looking at just how Star Trek Online's new legendary starships compare to their other T6 Sea Store counterparts. This week we're going to look at two of them, so let's dive in. First up, let's look at Elijah's favorite Star Trek ship, the Sovereign Class. This was released in the Legendary Bundle as the Legendary Miracle Worker Assault Cruiser, and we're going to compare it to the Tier 6 Fleet Intel Assault Cruiser, which is the highest tier version of the Sovereign you can buy from the Sea Store. The weapons layout on both of these is 4 forward and 4 aft, so there's no difference there. The turn rate of the Legendary Sovereign comes in at 8 to the Fleet Intel 7, while both carry an inertia value of 40. So the legendary ship handles a little more tightly. It's also a little sturdier with a slightly greater hull and shield modifier. Both ships have identical console item layouts, but the legendary ship offers an extra universal console slot. Now we get to the maybe more interesting differences between these ships. To begin with, the legendary sovereign comes with a total of plus 30 bonus subsystems power split evenly between weapon and engine power. The fleet intel sovereign instead comes with a plus 20 bonus subsystems power with plus 10 to 
weapon power, plus five to shields, and plus five to auxiliary. Next, let's look at those bridge officer layouts. Both ships' primary slots are commander-level engineering slots, but the legendary ship slot is also a miracle worker specialized slot. The legendary ship further carries a lieutenant commander tactical, lieutenant engineer slash pilot, lieutenant tactical, and lieutenant universal slot. The fleet intel sovereign's other bridge officer slots are lieutenant commander universal slash intelligence, lieutenant commander tactical, lieutenant engineering, and ensign tactical. So besides the specialization changes, the legendary ship swaps the lieutenant commander slot down to lieutenant in order to upgrade the ensign slot to lieutenant. And of course, the legendary miracle worker assault cruiser comes with the miracle worker innovation mechanic. Up until the legendary bundle, there were essentially three versions of the assault cruiser. There was the T5, then there was the tier five upgrade. Then there was the Vizier, which was available through the WizKids promotion, where you got the code. And then there's the Archon, right? Which was the, the Intel. I had purchased the WizKid model. I got the model from eBay and I had it shipped over and I used the code for it. So I had tried out the ship, but you know, it's, it's a cruiser. So it doesn't, it's not nimble. It's more nimble than other cruisers, but it still didn't turn and it still didn't perform to the way I enjoy my own personal gameplay. I have said before that what I, my, my main ship, the one that I flew the most, was the uh, Tier Six battle cruiser, the Arbiter. It's, it's hard to pull away from that ship because it's tanky, it's nimble, and it's powerful. I was hoping that I could switch over to this new legendary assault cruiser, and I have for the most part, except that I really need to change up my weapons from dual beam banks to full phaser arrays. Because even though it is more nimble than the other assault cruisers, it's still not as nimble as the tier six fleet battle cruiser. So I need to be able to hit my target as I'm turning instead of waiting to turn to hit the target. For those of you unfamiliar, dual beam banks have a 90 degree targeting arc, whereas beam arrays have 250 degrees. So you cover more area. You lose some power or rather some damage output from the beam arrays, but- You're hitting all the time. Yeah, you're hitting all the time and, and it's it's a decent sacrifice, I guess, or compromise rather. So yeah, I, you know, I, I think that the ship is great. The added universal console, is great. I mean, it. Uh, you know, I, I can slot in an extra console for either sturdiness and survivability, or for damage output, or for uh, crit chance or crit severity. It is a, a a much better ship than the original assault cruiser, and I, I would argue better than the Archon or the Vizier. Well, it ought to be. Is it my default? Not quite yet. Not until I upgrade my beam arrays, but it still performs. I'm still performing over 30k in in damage per second dps so i'm pleased with it do you not have like another set of upgraded beams you could just put on there just to try out i do but i don't know i guess i could i guess i, could. I do have a, a, a phaser beam array and i also have anti-proton the fleet anti-proton beam arrays that i could try out on it too slap slap those on there yeah yeah i, yeah, I guess if you're making a build though you have something in mind i mean don't you just want to work on what you have in mind i mean that's what i like to do even if they're not fully upgraded i like to get it all set up and upgrade as I go, unless there's an upgrade weekend. Well, that's that's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for the upgrade weekend for the sensor-linked beam arrays that I have, because right now they're like level two, mark two rather, beam arrays, and so I'm waiting for uh, for the upgrade weekend to take advantage of. In the meantime, I am developing a significant case of carpal tunnel syndrome thanks to the Omega event. 
I just no, can't do it. I, I I just I just do the Admiralty thing over and over again and collect Romulan upgrades and then collect uh, Dilithium to get the uh, Phoenix upgrades. I can't I just can't stand the Omega thing. I don't mind it. I just I'm not very good at it. It's my least I'm, favorite mini game. I'm not farming it like some people. Winters like like some people. Well, you can't trade it anymore. I never really bought them on the exchange anyway. So I'm doing I'm trying to do a hundred slivers a day. So I'll, like Monday I'll do a hundred red, Tuesday a hundred yellow, Wednesday a hundred blue, Thursday a hundred red, and you know cycle back and. I'll, How's that working out for you? I my I told you carpal tunnel, carpal, carpal tunnel. tunnel. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. I just run the event to get the dilithium. Now that I have my ship, yeah, you run the event, you get the dilithium, you buy a Phoenix prize pack, you turn it into an upgrade. <laughs> Done. Yeah, but the Omega ones are better for quality. Like if, you know, you should upgrade, you know, to get it to Mark 15 with using whatever. But if you want to upgrade quality, that's where you use your Omega upgrades. Sure. But if you have enough of the regular ones, you <laughs> get to the gold Mark 15 eventually. And you also don't have to do Omega. But they cost you Dilithium. No. Well, the thing about it is that Omega doesn't cost you Dilithium. Neither do the Phoenix Whereas upgrades. That's true, but, you know, whatever, it's free. But you well, pay dilithium. You, you, yeah, you pay, you pay it up front, but it's a fixed dilithium cost, right? It's a fixed dilithium cost. Whatever, I just mindlessly bleep, 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 Right, yeah, bleep, 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 That's it. Uh, even, yeah. even, even funny haha doing that on the podcast gives me like, ugh, like, <laughs> like, just, no, no. For our next comparison, we'll look at a favorite for all the captains out there who are Niners. Let's compare the T-6 Legendary Pilot Warship to the T-6 Fleet Defiant Tactical Escort. This might be the biggest rework of a ship in the Legendary Bundle because they've changed the entire type of the ship. Where the Fleet Defiant is an escort, the Legendary Defiant is a warship. That's most obviously reflected in the weapon layout. The Legendary Warship has a 5 forward 3 aft layout compared to the Fleet Defiant's 4 forward 3 aft layout plus one experimental weapon. The older Fleet Defiant as an escort is a a bit more nimble when compared to this legendary warship. The warship, though, is a tougher little ship with an improved hull modifier, though you sacrifice on some shielding when compared to the fleet escort. In terms of consoles, the legendary ship has five tactical slots, four engineering and two science, compared to the five tactical, three engineering and three science slots of the fleet defiant. Both ships have commander tactical bridge officer slots, with the legendary ship's slot specialized with pilot skills. Both ships have a single lieutenant commander slot, engineering on legendary, and tactical pilot on the fleet defiant. The remaining three slots on each ship are lieutenant seats. On the legendary ship, these are universal slash pilot, tactical, and science. On the fleet defiant, they are universal, engineering, and science. The legendary warship also finally gives the defiant the pilot maneuvers abilities and several optional bits of cosmetic nose art. And for my money, the best part of the whole thing is the nose art. I dig it. Kat, have you tried flying the defiant yet? Yes, I love it. <laughs> it is not bad, right? I love it. It's... What do you have on the nose? Uh, I can't remember now. I've only <sighs> set it up once. I've only set it up once and I feel like I was in a rush so I didn't really get to pick what I I need to go look at it again. You should definitely take the time and, and, and really sit with that because it's your favorite, you know, fake baseball team. So the nice thing, I, I'm I'm really not that much of a fan of the Defiant. It's it's design. I just I think it looks like a hockey puck to me, and I just not it's not what I think of when I th when I think of Star Trek Starship. And I know a lot of other people feel much differently to each their own. But this is a nimble and powerful ship. I have never flown a pilot ship before. So that extra maneuverability AI where you can barrel roll, barrel roll or whatnot, <laughs> um, that's new to me. 
um, and I'm not exactly sure yet how to use it. If a if an enemy shot a torpedo at me and then I click it, will the torpedo miss me? Or has the torpedo already in the game's programming locked onto me so it doesn't matter what I do, it's going to hit me no matter what, right, in the roll. I'm not quite sure yet how to use the pilot maneuverability feature from this pilot ship. But I will say this, I mean, you know, you can load quad cannons on it and which is what I did. Yeah, that thing will cut through things like a hot knife through butter. It's a little squishy, at least the way I had it set up, but Yeah, that's why you run away real fast. Yeah, 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 you've got to just like <laughs> So that pilot buttons for. Yeah. yeah, double click, you go. Woo! Out of the way. Yeah, bombing bombing runs kind of thing and and get out in and out kind of thing. Yes, yeah, strafe them with your cannons. Yeah. Well, captains, with all of the ship discussion that we've had, at least for the two out of the 10 ships, we hope in the coming weeks to talk even further about the other ships available. We want to know what you think. How do you feel the new legendary ships perform compared to their existing tier six variants? Has your favorite Star Trek online ship changed since purchasing the bundle? Let us know in the comments section for our episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Or just wait till we post it on Facebook or Twitter. And now for some Armada news. This week in Armada news, we have our regular TFO Tuesdays, which happens every Tuesday, where we team up with other Armada members to earn marks and dilithium. Also in Armada news, we have officially joined Discord and made the switch. The Armada made the official move last week, and so far it's been really great. There's been a lot of new people joining the server. We've even combined the podcast server and the Armada server into one awesome server. So we have all kinds of channels you can post into um, for different topics. Ship builds, ship costumes, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. So if you haven't checked it out, checked it out already, check out the new Armada Discord server. Yeah, this is great. I think that, uh, I think we did right by our community to merge the two servers. Well, first of all, you guys, your Armada wasn't necessarily using Discord much at all. Uh, so when you guys decided to make the switch over, it only made sense that we combine the communities. I mean, the, the Priority One podcast Discord server uh, is set up and has been set up for our patrons as a way for people who support the show to be able to get a direct line of contact to the cast and crew of the show. Uh, but now with the Armada, not only is there the Captain's Table channel for our patrons and exclusive for our patrons, but our patrons now have the resource of the entire Armada at their fingertips, so they can not only chat with us, but they can also get involved with the Armada, ask questions, develop their their Star Trek online gameplay in one way, shape, or form if they have questions. I mean, the community of the Armada is just invaluable. I love the Armada, of course, um, but... The cool thing about the Discord is you don't have to do voice chat if that's not something that you're into. You can post in one of the text channels if you have a question or... So many text channels. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, well, they cover a lot of different subject matters. So, you know, if you have ground costumes or space builds or, you know, technical issues or if you have specific game questions, yeah, there's a channel for everybody. With adorable names. Yeah, I mean, it's like... All themed by Deep Space Nine. Like the Jum just stand. Winters is our CIC. You know, he loves the Deep Space Nine. So, yeah, it's all Deep Space Nine themed. We have O'Brien's office for if you have technical issues, <laughs> you can go ask O'Brien. But, yeah, I really am enjoying Discord. And I love how you can just post your screenshots, like, right into the channels. Now, just to be clear, 
joining the Priority One Armada Discord server is free for everyone. But there are channels that are exclusive to patrons, through Priority One Podcast patrons. So, for instance, one of those channels is called uh, Captain's Table, which is where our patrons can chat with us, talk about anything, really, um, whether it's the latest episode of Star Trek Picard to Star Trek Online News or other Star Trek-related headlines. So, again, you can join the Armada Discord channel for free, uh, but if you're interested in becoming a patron and having access to the exclusive channels, then again, visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. In other Armada news, the House of Martok has reached its third Tier 5 colony upgrade, and all it needs is dilithium and provisions. So if you are in the KDF Armada, please contribute. That would be fantastic, because this is the last upgrade for the House of Martok, and it will be a full Tier 5 colony after this upgrade. So congrats to everyone, and thank you so much for contributing. It's open to everyone, right, Kat? If I post the link to the server, people can join it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. We do have Armada-specific channels, too, though, so just so you know. But if you want to join the Armada, just go to PriorityOneArmada.com and fill out an application. That's it for this week in gaming news. Now let's look on screen for the fifth episode of Star Trek Picard entitled Stardust City Rag. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Picard Episode 5, Stardust City Rag. On screen. Captains, we've got a heist on our hands. Well, more like a con. You see, Maddox is the goal and Seven is the bait. In this new Star Trek version of The Magnificent Seven, Picard and his crew must cosplay during STLV. I mean, put on elaborate personas to fool Bejazzled. Bejeweled, I mean Bejazel, into giving up Maddox in exchange for Seven, the most sought-after liberated Borg on the black market. When things go south, the crew needs to think fast in order to save themselves and Maddox. Ooh, there's a lot to unpack in this episode, but first, let's talk about all the touchstones. From top to bottom, in the very graphic and very controversial opening scene, the character we're introduced to, or reintroduced to, is Echep, who was one of the liberated Borg children that were found in the Delta Quadrant, played by Casey King, who is not the original actor, but a new actor to uh, portray the role of Echep. In the scene, the Dr. Kevorkian is looking for a cortical node and cannot find it. And that is a very specific Easter egg because it calls back to Season 7, Episode 2 of Star Trek Voyager titled Imperfection, in which Echeb gives up his own cortical node to save Seven of Nine. So he no longer has one. So she's not going to find it no matter how deep she drills and digs. Then, moving on to the, to the episode, uh, when they are landing on the planet Free Cloud, you see several neon displays. So in that scene, you see images of Quark's bar from Deep Space Nine. He's obviously created a franchise, good for him, where the real money is made. Mott's Hair Emporium, and for those of you unfamiliar, Mott is the barber on the Enterprise in Next Generation, the Blue Bolian. You see a sign for double tables. Then later on, once they get into the club, Mr. Vup talks about Quark and some issue he had with the Breen. We also get to taste some Tranya. Now, Maddox 
makes an appearance in this episode, but is not played by the original actor. The new actor is John Ailes. Also, and this one's this one was slick, and you had to really pay attention to this one. In the scene where Rios is talking to Rafi about Picard and Seven of Nine, Rios goes, what's her name, uh, 99 or 11 or something like that? And, and Rafi corrects him to say Seven of Nine. But the 99 and the 11 are very unique numbers. You see, 99 is the name of one of the characters, one of the lead characters in the old television series, Get Smart. And 11, I could only assume, is referencing 11 from Stranger Things. So I thought that was cute. That was a nice, cute little nod to other franchises and other science fiction related television series. So good on them. Good on that on them for that little bit of humor. Did you guys catch anything else? Was there anything I might have missed or something that really made you smile or react to? One thing I did notice, it wasn't uh, in the script, but it was the sound effects in the medical bay. They're reusing a lot of like the class, like the classic. The one that caught my ear was the uh, the alert tone. The that uh, I, I think they used to use it for like environmental or radiation effects or whatever. But they in the medical bay uh, was you know alerting to Bruce's deteriorating condition. Uh, it's like they're they're using those environmental cues that kind of put you back in the world of Star Trek. Right, everything is all flashy and hologrammy and stuff now, but some of those are bringing you back to you know uh, the the environment of Star Trek with sound rather than visual or script thing. This episode was very heavy on touchstoning, but I didn't hate it. It didn't feel corny or tacky, right? I thought that it wove itself into the story pretty well and unobtrusively. The touchstones, yeah, but they're still having problems with exposition. They're still having problems with info dumps. I don't know if I'm just comparing it to Discovery, but I don't have a problem with it. I, it's just it's just it's just clumsy. It's like I, mean, I know you're what you're trying to do there, but the part that I had a problem was that like literally moments ago, seven of nine beamed into the bridge and collapsed, and then they're like talking about, yeah, what's all that about, man? What's the going on? Like you were just there. He called her seven of nine like a second ago. Like you know, now you're making these ninety nine. I, 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 you know, for the audience, it's been a week, but for you people living on that spaceship, it couldn't have been that long ago. So I mean, it, it, it's 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 just stuff like that. It's just you know, the, it will tighten up that script a little bit and, and work with that. The other thing with with Echeb, you know, Seven had a lot of exposition with. I, I I'm not even going to say her name out loud. That's, but Jazel, I know what you're thinking. I know because about it's, it. it's an odd name. Well, but it just. <laughs> I don't. I, it's a, uh, Kenna, our, our old our old co-host, our old cohort here, went on Twitter and said, "I don't know why Vajazzle is not trending right now because." <laughs> I saw that. That I is really loud. That's <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I don't know when people writing these scripts as they say the names out loud and like hear themselves do this, but they really should have caught that in, in pre-production. But anyway, there's a whole bit where she's talking about like how important Echeb was. That should have been in that beginning scene. They should have taken a minute or two with dying Echeb and they should have like, you know, gone, I should have been there for you and we're, I thought you were on the Coleman and oh, I got a distress signal, but you know, uh, you know, I mean, kill me now. I mean, th- that, that should have been there and that could you know remind everybody how important Echeb was to Seven with those two people rather than her going on a soliloquy with guns pointed at her where it's it just slows down the tension. So, all right, that brings me to a good talking point for, for this particular episode. 
which was the torture scene at the top of the episode. It didn't bother me in like that, oh, I I need to avert my eyes. I, I have, that kind of stuff doesn't tend to affect me, right? I have to be, I, have to, I may have to prepare myself and I'm not gonna actively pursue it. But for instance, I enjoyed The Walking Dead, not because of the gore, but because of the story. And I was, I accepted the gore of The Walking Dead for those first several seasons because it had a solid story. It wasn't always about shock value on The Walking Dead. Sometimes it had to do with the actual angst that the characters were were going through and the plot. This caught me off guard because I just was not expecting it. It just, it, that degree of torture, that that amount of blood, that um, that level of graphic depiction, I was not expecting. We hadn't seen that in Discovery, not to that extent, and we really have never seen that before in Star Trek on Mo- in Star Trek in general. Now, one could argue that it's not the first time that Star Trek has shown graphic content. I think back on uh, Conspiracy for TNG. Now, by today's standards, that's really crappy special effects. But in the early 80s, to see that on... When I was 9 or 10, there were two scenes that I saw on television that like made me go, Whoa, like, oh my god. One of them was in Indiana Jones, when the guy's head melted, when, when the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh-huh, you know what I'm talking about. And then the second one was the alien head exploding when Riker and Picard shot him with phasers. I mean, those were those are, those are right up there, right? Now, again, you know, like you're saying, with today's production values, those things look a little cheesy. But when you're 10 or 11, you've never seen anything like that and then it gets beamed in on your 19 or 20 inch television screen uh, that that made you stop and think for a little while and and not eat a lot of spaghetti after that and so and so my my question is was it shock value was that just gratuitous to be shocking or did we need to see it did we need to see him suffer and be tortured in order to understand why Seven becomes so vengeful. I think it was a shortcut. Yeah, it seemed like shock value. I mean, it gets the point across, obviously, you know, that Seven witnessed all this and, you know, tried to save him and couldn't. But I think I agree with you that they maybe could have given some more background in the front end as opposed to the discussion that happened later. We could have still experienced the suffering that Echeb was experiencing without and Tony, you alluded to this a few moments ago, where it could have been a conversation. It could have been a, you know, final words kind of thing. I don't know that we needed to see an eyeball get pulled out of his skull, right? I don't, and e- even though it was a Borg yeah, was... eyeball, which is probably why they got away with not putting a viewer discretion at the start of it, because the the connecting eyeball to the skull was wires and not human tissue. Yeah, my wife is an anatomy geek, said, that's not what an eyeball looks like. And I'm like, it's a Borg eyeball. And she goes, oh, okay, that makes sense. Right, so yeah. that, that could explain how they got away with doing something like that without, you know, putting a viewer discretion, warning at the, at the start. I mean, the, the show is rated TVMA. But I don't think anybody was really expecting this. And and Allie brought this up when you know shortly after we watched it, is that Star Trek has been and can be a very safe thing for families to watch together, for kids to watch either alone or with their parents, and without parents needing to really worry about what's going to be depicted on television. There have been exceptions to this, like Conspiracy, and I think Deep Space Nine or Voyager had somebody... Uh, um, disintegrated and you saw like their skeleton before they disintegrated. I forgot what episode that was. Or that was uh, 
Next Generation. That was the one where they had um, they had the deaf guy, and then his choir chorus, whatever it was, got disintegrated by one of the locals. Yeah, that one pales in comparison to the exploding head dude from Conspiracy. I got a real distinct, oh, I'm watching Saw. Like, that's what it felt like. It didn't feel like it influenced my emotional attachment to Echeb in any way, shape, or form. And that could also be the fact that it was played by a different actor. Maybe I'd feel differently if it was the same actor, but it was a different actor. And so I don't, I don't, yeah, it just, it felt very Saw. It just, the, the film, I'm talking about the film Saw. It felt very Saw to me. So Elijah, I'm going to set the way back machine for a few years ago when we were watching the first season of Discover. Do you remember the boobies, Elijah? Yeah. This this is the boobies. That's what this is. We can do this because we're on all access, and let us show you how we can get away with it. It's a it was a, it was a shortcut to not having a conversation between Echeb and Seven. Maybe because they didn't get the original actor, and people would go, "Hey, wait a minute! They have more time to think about that it wasn't the original actor." I, for whatever reason, they took that shortcut, and we can show boobs and eyeballs because we're not on broadcast TV. It's showing off, and I and I I don't think you needed it. I don't I wasn't particularly offended by it, but I did watch it before. I let my daughter watch it, and I told her, there's something gross coming up at the front, just beware. And she's watched Lord of the Rings and orcs getting heads chopped off and stuff like that. She's not bothered by it, but I know from watching Discovery that I need to watch it first before I let her watch it. I don't know. I feel like that's unfortunate. You know, like, I, I it is. feel like, you know, Star Trek has been a safe space for, for a lot of people, and it not only was it graphic, but it also depicted torture, which is, you know, another very sensitive... Thing for a lot of people, you know? So, like you, it didn't necessarily bother me, but I could see why it would bother a lot of people, you know? And I could see why it's so graphic, because even I was taken back by it. I'm watching these things, mind you, at five in the morning, just after I've woken up, because we watch it before we before Ali goes to work. So I'm half asleep trying to watch Picard, and all of a morning. sudden... I, I, yeah, morning! Yeah. Don't you think they're trying to, like put it in perspective like what the ex or liberated borgs are going through like they're getting like processed you know and their bits getting ripped out maybe they're just trying to illustrate how bad it is for them but like tony alluded to earlier i feel like if if they had taken a little more time with it they could have written around it or written it in a way that didn't necessarily need to depict an eyeball being pulled from a socket kind of thing all right Let's talk a little bit about Seven's evolution from how we know and remember her in Voyager. What are your thoughts, Kat? What do you? How do you feel about this evolved Seven? You don't get much backstory other than she's a Fenris Ranger, which sounds amazing, whatever that is. But she's out there being sheriff, you know, in the Wild West is what it sounds like. After, you know, the star exploded and all of the, you know, the Federation pulled out, what what were people left with? You know, no one was there to enforce law and order, and it sounds like the Fenris Rangers were there. When she finally found her voice, when Jerry Ryan finally found Seven's voice, aha, there you are, when it was, she's still... The, the recovering Borg underneath, but she's adapted better to human stuff, that came through completely. Because her, her vocabulary and her diction is still the same, but she appears but relaxed, more relaxed. Though. Yeah. She's way more relaxed, though, yeah. I mean, what are you doing out here, Picard? I mean, I don't think she would have said it like that before. Because what you, what she wants to say is, what are you doing out here, Captain Picard? But what she's right. she knows now what she's need, she needs to do is take a slug of bourbon, because he's offered her a drink, and, and ask it in a more colloquial way. You know, I will say this about Seven and Jerry Ryan 
coming back into the role is that I felt that this was more of an evolution for Seven. I could see Seven in Star Trek Picard, right? I could see the Voyager Seven of Nine in this iteration of Star Trek Picard. I have yet to see TNG's Jean-Luc Picard in this Picard that we're watching. Does that make sense? He's gone. That, that guy is gone. He was broken 14 years ago with whatever the Romulan thingy. Seven... And that bit between them told you that, right? They're both still trying to struggle from to coming back from the collective. Picard has gotten... I mean, he, he got over it and had a career and all that kind of stuff after it. Seven clearly still hasn't. And she told you that. But the Picard that we saw in TNG has moved on. Seven's still in the Delta Quadrant. She's still trying to figure this out. And she still has a lot less confidence that she will figure it out than Picard ever. I, I think that that much came, came through in that little scene. That little scene did a lot of work. A lot of work, and uh, it was one of the it, very few lines, and it was it was just really it really encapsulated those two characters, and that's something that Jonathan Frakes can do. You give him six lines of dialogue and two minutes on the screen, and he'll make people blink it the right way and nod the right way, and and sell it. Uh, and I was really impressed with that scene. You want to know another scene that also impressed me? The goodbye scene between Raffi and Picard. Because that was a nice bookend, right? It's Picard saying goodbye both times. He's saying goodbye to Raffi. You know, thanks for the memories. It's good. It was good we almost got the band back together. See you later. And he's doing the same to Seven right there. You know, it's like, you know, goodbye, thanks for the memories. Keep on trucking. You know, he, he had those two good scenes. Very few lines. A lot of acting going on. And a lot of directing going on that lets you know what Picard and his scene partner were, were, were thinking what was going on in their heads. Really liked that scene with Raffi, and I know you wanted to talk about Raffi. The oh, I you know we actually we almost forgot the one of the the greatest touchstones of uh, of this episode, and and thank you to uh, Ray for for reminding me in the chat that in that conversation that Picard and Seven share uh, as she's leaving, you hear the underscore of the original Voyager theme in beautiful. Right musical orchestration which was just absolutely gorgeous I, I think I think better than even the TNG music we got at the end of the second episode I thought that this just played wonderfully it's that use of sound again to bring you back mm-hmm. it was really really well done shout out to, to the composer for this episode uh, it was just so so beautifully done yeah I mean it, with with respect to Rafi it's it's some of these characters and my opinions of them like Kat said last week are now colored by the novel The Last Best Hope so I know a little bit more about the Rafi mm-hmm. Gabe relationship from that novel as I do also the relationship between Picard and uh, Legolas so um <laughs> So the scene where Rafi and Gabe, where Rafi goes and approaches Gabe, um, that one was a pretty, that one, that one was a, a, a very personal scene for me because I have been in Gabe's shoot almost word for word. Um, I handle things a little differently and less emotional than Gabe does. That was over the top, though. They, they did that on purpose. Yeah, his was a little over the top and, and a little childish, but uh, I have been there. Yeah, it was, it was I, I don't know, I still haven't been able to kind of wrap my mind around around it other than, yeah, yeah, I've been there. I know exactly, I have been in that almost word for word um, with my mother having that conversation. So, you know, that brought up a lot of, you know, these questions of what is family? You know, what is uh, what is the relationship of a mother and, and the child? And, and how does... Here's what I don't want. 
I don't want them to romanticize Rafi. If she's an addict and she doesn't get help and they beat around the bush for with things like that, that's not helping anybody. That's not helping address the opioid epidemic in the United States or across the globe. That's not helping anybody. Rafi needs to have a come to Jesus moment. Was it this? Was it this with Gabe? I don't know. I maybe probably not. If she didn't clean herself up for her family before, then she's not going to do it now. It would really really disappoint me if they romanticize Rock and her addiction and her and her things. This is what I'm hoping. You know, we talk about we talked earlier in the show about how, you know, there's no such thing as a genes vision. Here's where I would be really disappointed in Star Trek if they don't do what I'm about to say. She wrecked her life apparently according you know, I didn't read the novel so this is what I'm I'm gleaning from just this scene again I'm gonna high five Jonathan Frakes virtually here because he the scene did a lot of work she chose or allowed her life to be ruined because she was chasing what appeared to be at the time a conspiracy theory then 15 years later Picard shows up with evidence that well, maybe it is not a conspiracy theory after all. She cleans herself up after that visit, decides to go on this mission because when she does her little research, turns out Bruce Maddox, the guy that Picard wants to find, the next clue to the conspiracy theory also happens to be where her kid is. So she helps him out and gets him ready to go and, and do the Bruce Maddox thing to find, to find the conclusion to the conspiracy theory. But she chooses not to go on that. She prioritizes reconnecting with her son over exercising that demon. But then when she gets in front of her son, she can't let it go. And that's why I think the kid, maybe justifiably, tells her, nice try, come back again later. Because she has not yet dealt with the thing that took her off the rails at the beginning. I like Raffi as a character a lot more now than I did two episodes ago. So I'm hoping what they should be doing in the, seri- in the vein of Star Trek here is fine. I understand why my kid rejected me, but the fact of the matter is, is that this thing that wrecked my life, I have a chance to figure it out and set it to bed. And maybe then I can actually go back to my kid and say, either I've proved it and haha, I was right all along, but she'll say it in a nice way because she's a much better mommy than that. Or she'll be like, I, I've exercised the demon because I went after it and took it to its limit and there's nothing there. So I hope this is, what I hope they don't do is they they she picked up a you know, a pound of space weed and gets her vape back on in, in Rios' ship. I hope they don't do that with her. I hope, she, hope she's got the fire now and she doesn't backslide. Because I, I don't want to watch that. Not in a Star Trek show. That about covers most of the episode. We'll talk about it more, of course, in our Patreon-exclusive podcast titled After Hours, which you can find over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Uh, hello? We haven't even mentioned Gerardi. What? Agnes, Aggie, what are you up to? I mean, some people kind of predicted it, but the worst part for me was I, when I was watching the show for the first time. I uh, when as soon as they saw, as soon as with the baking cookies thing started happening, I'm like, oh, she's gonna kill him. I mean, it was just way over the top because there's no reason right for that scene. Then? Big teary oh. face for watching the cookie thing. No, she's gonna kill him. I, yeah, the well, novel. I, yeah, the the novel definitely ruined that for me too. I because I felt a little, I felt more attached to. Or rather, I was able to react better to her murdering him because in the novel, it, it, it was established that they did in fact have a very close personal relationship prior to the events of the Mars attack and the Synth Rebellion. So I, I think that there was a missed opportunity to show that more because I think that her turn would be less of a surprise to folks like yourself, Tony, if 
that was built more. If if in the discussion with Picard in the first episode, it was like, yeah, Maddox was, you know, we were supposed to be married or something like that. Just something to, to demonstrate that Gerardi was much more invested in Maddox than she led on to believe. Because all we got was her looking at an old video about him baking cookies. And that's really all we saw. Yeah, it, need, it needed more time to simmer. It needed more time to simmer. It didn't need any time to simmer. I didn't need to know any. I didn't need to know that. As a matter of fact, and this is the other point I want to make about Frakes directing, I'm almost ready to forgive him for the joystick on the Enterprise E. Almost. Almost. Because in the scene where he's in the med bay when Maddox is all beaten up and Picard and Maddox are talking, but the camera's on Gerardi. And that's where it's like, they should have done that. Because uh, you gradually realize that she's going to kill him. As that scene goes on, that would have been much better. Because the, the, the audience is looking, why are we focusing on her? Why is she reacting that way? They're getting all their answers. This is what they came for. Why isn't she happy? Why is she progressively sadder the more he says? It's because she's getting confirmation of everything that... Commodore O said in their little meeting right before the Romulan Death Squad hit the chateau where Picard lives, and she just happened to wander in, wander in right after. Right. That would have been a much better payoff. That would have been a much better payoff than the cookie thing. Right. I, I, we didn't need that, and 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 Frakes is a good enough director that he didn't need that. But the script had it in there, so he filmed it. When she finally did the deed, I'm like, yeah, that I, I get it, but skip the cookies. That wraps up this week's on screen for Star Trek Picard. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies, open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Our community question this week was, who is your favorite Star Trek Picard character thus far, and why? From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Choyumiku says, Even though Seven made me squeal like a little girl's a Voyager fan, Picard by far is my favorite character, because he still stands firmly for everything the Federation and Starfleet is supposed to stand for. And once again, it's Picard who takes up the mantle to make sure the right thing is done. He never gives up, and he always finds a way, even if that way is wearing an eye patch. Oh my god, that eye patch. Something you know sinister. What? <laughs> so good. <laughs> hey, look, the eye patch was the only option, okay? It wasn't a great option, but it's the, the only beret. way. He had a scar, it, too. Did you notice the scar? Pa- yeah, I saw look. the scar, but the beret, the eye patch, the scar, uh, they know, all He's a very it. famous That's admiral. Fantastic. He was just on Galactic TV with the anniversary thing. Everybody knows his face because he was Locutus of Borg 30 years ago. The only way that he wasn't going to be recognized in the CD bar is by putting on an eye patch. It's the only possible option. The other thing, <laughs> he could have just done glasses and Clark well, Kent No, they don't work. Glasses uh, 20th century would have stood out. Kirk did because he's uh, allergic to retinol. Mm, mm, Good one. Nice. Here's the other thing. That's some deep lore right there. Ha. That was good. Retin X5. Mm, Good. The, uh, what I, what I, the scene where he has that very personal moment with Seven at the end. Um, why on God's green earth didn't Frakes have him take off the stupid eye patch? When I watched (laughs) it like the third or fourth time, it was really distracting. Yeah, but you're right. Like no, he's having you're right. this it heartfelt, was all flipped up, flipped yeah, up he, on his head. <laughs> he's having this heartfelt conversation with Seven about humanity, and this guy's wearing an eye patch. It's just on his, it's resting on his forehead. He couldn't just easily have taken it off and had a conversation. Was it supposed to like represent her eye implant? The lost like was it Ichib. supposed to be like a mirror? Like oh my god, why? All it would have taken was let me take off this eye patch. One gesture as he's explained. No, I never, you know, regained my 
humanity. Take it off. Missed opportunity. No, but the whole that whole uh, scene. There it was. There it was. Ready to freaking worry. There the I was ready to forgive Frakes for the joystick, and you bring up the eye patch, and I can't. I just can't anymore. It's done. Oh, it's all rolled back. It's all rolled back. <laughs> On Facebook, Ron Kinney says, "Echeb, the poor guy." From Twitter, Brandon Parker says, "I'm probably going to get a lot of flack, but it's Dr. Gerardi. Allison Pill is literally knocking this one out of the park with her performance, and I really want to see where her character goes this season." Sorry, Brandon, but you're not editing this segment, and I'm going to tell you, you're wrong. She's my <laughs> least favorite character. <laughs> she would have gotten a lot more better marks in my book if if the script hadn't called for the cookie scene. I think she did a great job in the in the in the part where she was just about to murder Maddox. I thought that was that was really well played. I thought she was really good in the not in the freaking out about how to transport people. That, well, that's really? part of the fun. Seriously, I thought everyone knew how to so do we did, that. We had we had thirty minutes of raw on this other thing because there's so much to cover in that one. But one of the things they were trying to do, and I think pulled off because it's Frakes, was they're trying to throw some light light elements in there and they, they're trying to you know fish out of water things and and goofy french accents and they're trying to give a little throwback to trouble with tribbles types things or a, a piece of the action from from the old tos series i think they pulled that off uh to a, to a great extent but yeah i i i like pill pills performance with that stuff from PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell says, No one character really, though each one brings an interesting dynamic to this new motley crew. Rafi is Picard's right hand, basically a Riker, but with lots of baggage and personal demons. Rios is the sullen outsider, but wannabe insider, a la Tom Paris. With Don't his holo- you dare compare my <laughs> Rios to Tom Paris. How dare you? I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, 1940s fashion, is- hello, with the zoot suit and everything. No, he is wow. Tom Paris. Get over it. He's Tom Paris. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Tom Paris well, is my least favorite character. Well, Rios, with his hollow doppelgangers serving as evidence of both his genius and his haunted self-isolation. Elnor is the Harry Kim slash Travis Mayweather-like newbie. Gerardi has that adorable dorkably awkward Tilly quality about her, but you gotta wonder if that's a cover for something. Spoilers, and Seven is, well, Seven, but with kick-ass rifles. You know, another thing about Gerardi, Shane mentions this, is that she wasn't freaking out. Her freak out at the transporter throughout the entire episode is not because she's nervous about her tasks. That whole episode, she knows that if they save him, she's gonna kill him. You realize that, right? Oh, that makes like, sense. When the when the EMH is triggered uh, beforehand, and he's like, "What's your, you know, I'm gonna give you a sedative," and no, I'm not. This is just before she transports them out. That wasn't because she was nervous about her responsibilities. She was nervous because if 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 they get him back, she's got to kill him. She knew that from the the moment she stepped on the ship or the moment she got to the, chateau, she got the chateau, she yeah. knew that she was gonna kill him. Like that was that was Commander O's thing. Well, so, yeah, they all knew Picard was going to get Maddox. Right, it's the whole point of the mission. So I guess yeah. that makes sense, but it never occurred to me. So, wow, mind blown. <laughs> On Twitter, Daydreamer writes in, I actually don't know. I used to like the first girl, Dodge, but she was killed off too soon. I probably like seven of nine the most because she is well established. Finally, this week, we took to Patreon and Twitter for another survey Sunday where we wanted to know, what's your favorite small screen 1701? TOS, hashtag no bloody blah blah, wound up at 17.3%. 1701 C, hashtag it's shooter's turn. 6.3, nice, nice one there. <laughs> Shooter McGavin, good one. 
1701D, hashtag shut up, Vesely. Uh, 41.7%, the clear winner. Uh, and then uh, Disconny, hashtag just give us Pike at 34.6%. Uh, so we've got uh, 1701 being uh, ahead of the game there. 1701D. Oh, so excuse me, sorry, sorry, D. 1701D. Is- I love it. I think I voted for that one. Well, that wraps up episode 450 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list or open up your favorite podcast app and do a search for Roddenberry. We have a wonderful master list with all of the shows available to you. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like Diana Gunther, Darnell Dwayne Ross, David K. Rutley, Joshua Selig, and Peter Archibald. And of course, before we go, we have to remind you what our community questions are because we want to hear from you. First up, what do you want Star Trek's next two shows to be about? And in gaming, how do you feel the new legendary ships perform compared to their existing tier six variants? Has your favorite Star Trek online ship changed? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at priorityonepodcast.com, on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash priorityonepodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday. Just point your favorite podcast app and do a search for Roddenberry. There you'll find us and our friends on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, me, and the rest of the Priority One Armada Saturday nights, the Armada broadcast live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you are new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our community patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more, pick a perk, and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Now, even if you cannot make a financial contribution, don't worry, we understand. Just spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies to get their weekly roundup of news right here. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wavern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, William, Brandon, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the weekly production of this podcast with support from associate producer Shane Hoover, who help us organize and write up the summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage.
transfer complete. Frakes clarified that he felt Picard. <laughs> Picard. 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 John Luke Picard here. <laughs> Mr. Picard. Oh, right. Fields and plus five to auxiliary. Auxil. Auxiliary. Uh, Auxiliary! <laughs> Got a set like a Scots engineer. Yeah, bombing, bombing runs, kind of thing, and and get out, in and out, kind of thing. Yes, yeah, strafe them with your cannons. Yeah, then you. So yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a great ship. It's a you know. <laughs> Panda. <laughs> what? Attack pattern GTFO. <laughs> yes. That's what you run on the Defiant. <laughs> yes. Cat, why don't you read this next one? So I talk a lot. I talk a lot. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.